stand if you would. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read four verses together here. And uh, some have said this passage is the gospel in a nutshell. Have you ever heard that about 1 Corinthians 15? Just these four verses, of course there's a lot more here, but we'll just do the four. But the gospel in a nutshell, and I want you, if you would, before we pray together, we'll read scripture, but you read it out loud with me and try your best just to stick together as one unit as we read the verses. Verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Let's stop there. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Thank you for it. Lord, uh, I am not adequate here this morning. Lord, I need your help. I am never, never am. I don't think any preacher could honestly say that they are, but Lord, I know I need your help today, and I do pray that you would bless um, the message here, Lord, and I thank you for the truth uh, more than ever today. It is, it, it is uh, just so, so much a contrast to the world, uh, our society. Truth, truth, and what is going on is so contrasted. We, we should, as believers, gravitate naturally to the truth, but Lord, because of our flesh, Many times we want to do what the world says. We have a temptation constantly to go the way of the world. So Lord, help us to understand as believers, we have the Spirit of God in us. You are in us. You're indwelling the believers. And so help us, Lord, to listen to the Holy Spirit and the Word today. Help us to not give in to philosophies, psychologists, and humanists all the other things that are out there. Lord, help us to be careful, so careful as we walk through the world. And God, I know that you're with us, so thank you for that. I know that you're able to uh, empower and to help us to, um, to overcome. Thank you for victory. We thank you as we sing victory in Jesus and uh, Lord, my Savior forever. And not just the day that we got saved. And thank you for that. But I thank you that you are saving us from the power of sin today. And someday we'll be saved from the presence of sin. So I thank you for that, Jesus. I do pray that you bless all that is said and done here in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. During World War II, Dr. Roland Lavelle, who was the pastor at that time of the First Baptist Church of Miami, he was asked if he would visit the mother of a young soldier in World War II. And this was an unusual visit because the mother had already been informed that her son had died in battle. Yet, he was found to be alive. And he was well. So the War Department asked this pastor if he wouldn't mind sharing the good news with the boy's mother. I would much rather share that news than the other, that he had died. And they gave him that opportunity. But I think of the good news that we get to share, and that is that Jesus 
paid the debt that nobody could pay. The gospel is the best news that a lost and dying world could ever hope to hear. The English noun gospel comes from the uh, Anglo-Saxon term God spell. It means glad tidings. Gospel is translated from the Greek word evangelion, which means good message, good news. Very simple, right? Uh, Charles Spurgeon once talked about how that when a jeweler is going to display a diamond, uh, he puts diamonds on black velvet. The contrast of the diamonds with the black velvet brings out the luster of the jewel. And whenever God is going to do something, he picks the most impossible and the most improbable situations because then when he's done, everyone says, oh, how great is our God. And he puts our life on the backdrop of that black velvet. And I think one of the most impossible situations, the most impossible situation, is our soul's salvation. Without the diamond of the gospel, we are utterly lost. And I think of that contrast. Our sin is the black velvet upon which the diamond of God's grace, the good news of the gospel, dazzles so brilliantly. I remember when I went shopping for a diamond many years ago, uh, I had no idea what I was doing, so I called upon my brother-in-law, who had been married three years at that time or so, and uh, he had so much more experience than I did, you know, uh, buying jewelry and stuff, you know, three years of marriage. But he said, uh, you got to look for the, the color, the carrot, uh, the carrot, the color, the whatever, you know, the clarity. And he gave me all the different things to look for. And uh, we went to the store and we tried to find the perfect diamond. But what they do in the jewelry store is they take a light many times and they contrast maybe on black velvet or something dark, that diamond, but they'll use light and they, they bring out all of the brilliance of that diamond, don't they? And it looks so much better sometimes in the jewelry store than when you get it uh, home. But have you ever, maybe you ladies with your, uh, if you have a diamond ring or something with a diamond on it, you take it outside in the sun and just sometimes the light shining through that thing makes it just sparkle. But that's what the gospel is. The background, number one, the background of the gospel, verse number three, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sin. The two last words that I read there, our sin, is the black velvet. It is the background of the gospel. The reason the gospel is not good news to so many people is that they refuse to believe the bad news of our sin. The world has worked overtime to explain away sin. They don't want to admit that they sin. If we're honest, we have to admit that we sin, but nobody wants to say that. Um, it is an error. I made a mistake. It doesn't matter what kind of label you put on it. Sin is still sin. A psychologist, they uh, have theorized that given the right environment, human beings would react the right way. They say that thieves only steal because they were raised in bad surroundings and poverty. So the answer to crime is to provide people with jobs and housing and former criminals will become model citizens. That's not the whole issue. 
That might help, but that doesn't solve the problem. Liberals say we can legislate problems like crime and greed out of existence by throwing enough money after them and passing new laws. Evolutionists say any flaws are just holdovers from a previous stage of evolution that will someday be bred out of the race as we progress upward from the primordial soup from which we have spontaneously arose. But psychologists, liberals, and evolutionists don't believe that man is part of the problem. Now, I get that they try to explain away sin, and I understand evolutionists, liberals, and psychologists, why they say what they say. But it bothers me when preachers stand in the pulpit and try to explain away sin. See, this is the way the gospel, that's why it doesn't excite people today. If you study the great revivals, the the preachers in the great revivals did not downplay sin one bit. In fact, that is what sparks revival. When we get a good glimpse of who God is, and many times that comes from getting a good glimpse of who we are. And so, why doesn't the gospel excite people? Because they have been pacified and excused to ad nauseum from the pulpits of our churches. This is not a business. We don't run it like a business. I understand we can learn from business practices on how to do things efficiently, but when it comes to the spiritual matters of the church, this is not a business. And in fact, the spiritual should lead all of the business matters as well. They're not two separate things in the church, okay? Uh, so, so as you understand, God has set up men to pastor churches, to lead homes, to lead government. God has established that authority. And we understand that we want to love people, we we accept people uh, as they are, sinners, but we don't expect them to stay that way when they encounter the gospel. There's a pastor in Atlanta, and he's a well-known pastor, but he has made several statements in the last couple months regarding homosexuals in the church. He contends that churches must adapt and learn how to include uh, them in their life of the church. And he further states, he stated that essentially that, he states that Christians have a lot to learn from gay men and women who love Jesus and who want to worship with us. He says, the men and women that I know that are gay, their faith and their confidence in God dwarfs mine. And so not only is there room, there's plenty of room for them in the church. Now, you understand that this church is a loving church. We love all people. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like, your background, anything. That does not matter to us. I understand there's times that it's hard for us to accept, but love overcomes anything. And God's love extends to everyone. But when God, God's love touches the life of a sinner, that sinner should not stay in a life that is contrary to the Bible. So, 
Christians, we need to stop worrying about trying to make the gospel acceptable to everyone because not everyone is going to like it. Some of you didn't like it. Right? There are some of you that did not like the gospel (laughs) before you got saved. Before you received that love of God. God, God's character is not just a character focused solely on love. God's love is balanced by justice and righteousness and holiness. We, we understand that God is a God of grace, but God is also a God of truth. God is a God of mercy, but He is also holy. And in His holiness, He has extended a way for those that are unholy, like, like the men of this world, the human, uh, human beings on this planet. God loves each and every one, but He does not accept everyone as they are, or they do not stay as they are. They need to come to Him and receive forgiveness. And in that process, there's a life change that takes place from the inside out. And so we need to stop worrying about the the gospel. The gospel is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It does not need to change. It needs to be preached. We need preachers who will preach that hell is hot, that heaven is real, and that sin is still wrong, and that the Bible is God's holy word, and that Jesus is the only way to be saved. I think of a song written by Rodney Griffin, good man of God, written a lot of, he's written a lot of good songs. But he has a song, it's very practical, it's called Preacher, Tell Me Like It Is. And the song goes this way, the first verse goes this way, I'd say it's been a while since you heard this request, but my spirit is tired and I need rest. I want to hear from heaven a clear word from God, a sermon of conviction straight from the heart. Second verse, I've been hearing other preachers say I don't have to change. The most eloquent of speakers tell me I'm okay, but it hasn't eased my conscience, and I know it's not the truth, so when you stand before us, can I count on you? The third verse goes, so uh, open up the word and let the spirit lead. Preach until I've heard God speak to me. Don't worry about my feelings, don't worry about my shame, just preach the cross of Jesus that I'm to blame. And the chorus goes, Oh preacher, you say you want to be my friend. Don't be afraid to call my sin what it is. And preacher, tell me I can overcome, but it's only by the blood of the Lamb. Don't tell me like I wish it was. Preacher, tell me like it is. I love that song. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. The Bible says, Paul writes, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching... If it was up to, uh, to business-minded people that only focus on this, the, the business side of things, preaching would not be what it needs to be in the churches. Not criticizing anyone that is business-oriented. We need that. But it's not going to have the It's not a marketing scheme. Okay, preaching is not for the purpose of marketing the gospel. Preaching is to declare, thus saith the Lord. So, nowadays, we divide sins into categories. We have the small sins that, uh, things like telling a little white lie, right? Um, We have 
taking maybe a few supplies home from the office or stealing change from our father's dresser. And I can tell you uh, for a fact that I actually took some money from my mom when I was four or five years of age. And I'll tell you that story. Um, I remember that I was at the age where I was learning how to ride a bicycle. So I was probably about four or five. And my bicycle had training wheels on it. And I had uh, it was a probably honestly it was a hand-me-down bicycle from one of my sisters because I remember it had a basket in the front and nothing wrong if you're a boy and you got a basket on your bicycle but I it just I don't think it was mine to remember I, I, I grew out of that bike very quickly but I remember I had the training wheels on it and I came uh you know into my parents bedroom and I was looking for my mom and my dad wasn't home at the time and um I remember my mom, I think she was probably in the bathroom getting ready to go or taking a shower or something. And, and I remember I saw, I think it was four $1 bills on the dresser. And I don't, I don't know what, what um, prompted me to take that because I don't know what I thought I was going to do with it, number one, because I never bought anything. And uh, my parents obviously would wonder where I got the money. And so I, I remember I saw the money there and I took it, and I remember going through this whole process of going out to the garage and hiding it in the basket on my bicycle. Just like Achan in the Bible, you know? He took the things from Jericho he wasn't supposed to take, and he d- what did he do with it? He buried it under his tent. So that was what happened. Thankfully, I didn't get stoned, and my parents and my family didn't get stoned for my sin like Achan did. But... Um, but I do remember that day my dad came home and he said, Paul, I know you've been begging me to take the training wheels off your bicycle and today is the day. And I said, no, dad, it is not the day to take the, 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 the training wheels off my bicycle because I knew he was going to discover what I had done. And yet I didn't dissuade him from doing that because his, his mind was set on it and he was probably kind of wondering why in the world this kid who's been begging me to do this is telling me don't do it. And so he was probably a little bit suspicious, but we went out to the garage. I remember you pulled the bicycle out, and what you do when you take the training wheels off is you turn the bicycle upside down, usually onto the handlebars in the seat. And guess what happened when he did that? You know the rest of the story. And I think I blacked out after that because I don't remember the rest of the story, so <laughs> to be honest with you. But I do remember it. it's still on my heart, and um, I learned that that was wrong at a very early age. But I, I already knew it was wrong because of the sin nature that I had. Um, but those small sins, we kind of joke around about that, but it still was sin, wasn't it? And um, they seem small in our eyes, but they are an indication of a much bigger problem deep in our hearts. And the problem is not what man does, but rather what man is. We sin because we're sinners. We have a nature that is inclined towards sinning. And... Um, So with this background in place, we understand the sin problem. We are ready to display the beauty of the gospel. Number two, the source. Verses three and four of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, chapter 15, verse three, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I, I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The source of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. He continues to say, and that he was buried that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The source of the good news stems from what Jesus did. Letter A, the gospel, or that first point there under, uh, uh, under there is, the gospel deals with sin's penalty. 
the penalty of our sin is death. And the gospel answers that question. What are we going to do with the penalty of my sin? How about your sin? You say, I didn't do that much. I haven't done much. But you have to realize we are under a curse. You don't have to be Saddam Hussein to go to hell. You don't have to be any of the other evil people in this world, past or present, to deserve to go to hell. The Bible says that all have sin. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Why? God did not bring death into this world. Man brought death into the world. The Bible says because of one man's sin, death came into the world. Death passed upon all men. We have that nature. It is in us. It is who we are. We inherited it, but it's not an excuse. It doesn't alleviate us from the penalty of our sin. We deserve to go to hell because of our sin. The cross, though, was God's judgment against sin. So the gospel answers the the, the, the problem of the penalty. The gospel answers that. Jesus died on the cross. He died in my place. Amen? Second Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might, might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's not being a good person that gets us into heaven. It's by knowing the only person that can save man, and that is Jesus, having that personal relationship with him. And it comes through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. And so the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, I'll turn there if you want to turn there, you can. But the Bible says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin. Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus, Jesus was perfect. It's not a myth. It's not some kind of, uh, you know, fairy tale. We explained how that it was possible through the virgin birth of Christ, his sinless blood, and so on. And I'd love to get into that. But you just, you understand this morning, we accept this. We have to accept this fact that Jesus was the perfect son of God. He was not somehow, uh, you know, the, the world loves to bring him down. World religion loves to bring him down to the level of man. Yes, he was man, but he was still 100% God. Praise God for that. He was perfect, and he's the only one that can save us. The Bible says here, verse 22, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, who, di- uh, I'm sorry, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He was not uh, in any way deserving of death. He was not deserving of the capital punishment that he received on the cross. It was his choice, amen? Because he loves us, he chose to do that. That's a hard concept for some people to accept. I've, I've talked about this with Muslim people, uh, those that follow Islam. Why would God have to die? Why would he do that? Why couldn't he just save us? Well, this is how it is. We have to accept it. We have to receive it by faith. The fact is that we deserve to die and that somebody has to die in our place. If we're not going to go to hell and pay forever for our sins, it, it has to be laid on somebody. Because God is not just the God of love. He's the God of holiness and perfect righteousness, justice. So he says here in verse 23, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. See, Jesus gave himself 
as the, pun- the, as the propitiation, the payment, the, uh, the one who would stand in our place, the, uh, the, the scapegoat, if you will. He was there and he submitted himself to the righteous judge as an offering for our sin. Verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Do you see, are you starting to see the brilliance of the diamond of the gospel against the backdrop of our sin? How that we deserve hell. We deserve eternal punishment. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that beautiful diamond, the life of Christ. The Bible says that he died, he gave himself for our sins in his own body. He bore our sin on the tree on the cross, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. It's not our stripes. It's not our works. It's not our righteousness. It is the the righteousness of Christ and his substitutionary death. He died in my place. Verse 25, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So we see that uh, the penalty of our sin was paid for by Jesus, and he pardoned us. When we come to him, we can receive pardon. The Bible says you have to come to God as you are. And that's why uh, coming to church, dressing up, and trying to play a part, trying to fulfill a role, trying to check all of the boxes, trying to be a better person, uh, trying to fit in is not the way to God. It's coming as we are. And that's why we can stand and say, we love all people. We love all people because all have sinned. And but for the grace of God, we, we would be exactly where some people are today. Amen? And if you don't want to admit that, then you need to talk to the Lord about that because we all have potential because of our wicked hearts. We have potential to do the worst of the worst of heinous crimes in this world. But because of a loving Savior, Jesus died for all. And so we can say, I love every person in this world because of the love of Christ. God loves you this morning. So we see that Jesus, uh, he paid the penalty, but the next thing is the gospel deals with sin's pollution. That's great. We don't have to pay for the penalty, but what about the curse that we are under? Much of the emphasis is placed on the death of Jesus. I got a call one time when I was preaching on a TV program years ago, and uh, I don't honestly remember if I had gone through the whole aspect of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I think I left those two off because I was focusing on the death of Christ. He died for us. Many times we stop right there. But it's important to realize that not only did he die, he was buried. Somebody called and said, do you preach the full gospel? I said, well, as far as I know, I'm preaching the Bible. And he said, well, what about the death, the burial, and the resurrection? I said, you're right. So, Uh, I'll accept that. But not only did Jesus die, he was buried. And this is significant. It's significant. He became sin for us. And he died for us. But then that burial proves that he really died. He was sealed in the grave for three days and three three nights. And he was truly dead. He didn't pass out on the cross like some people would surmise. I'm not sure if, you know, some people just have a hard time accepting this, but the, it, it just has to be accepted. They 
would not have buried him if he was still alive. He died. The purpose of the cross was to kill the malefactor, the person who had committed crimes against that community and the government or whatever else they would have crucified, crucified somebody. But they, they put a spear through his side to prove that he was no longer living. There is the, uh, the swoon theory, of course, that was popularized years ago. That somehow he just passed out and then they put him in the grave and somehow he was able to untangle himself from all of the uh, linen that he was wrapped in. He was able to move the two-ton stone out of the way and somehow come out of the grave and astonish the soldiers that were watching. My friend, you just have to accept, he died on the cross and he truly paid for our sins by his death. So Jesus uh, was buried. It signified that he became sin for us. He was put into the grave. He was... And when he was put into the grave, you know, your sin and my sin was buried with him. We signify it through the baptism. We are baptized into the death of Christ, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. But just like, just like uh, Jesus uh, was buried, our sin was buried with him. And praise God for that truth. Uh, dying, he saved me, the song goes. Buried, he carried my sins far away. He left him in the grave. Praise God for that. And then rising, he justified freely forever. Letter C or the next point there. The gospel deals with sin's power. The good news of the gospel just keeps getting better, doesn't it? And the best part of all, I think, maybe is that he rose from the grave. Peter said in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, uh, Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Boy, he was speaking, he was telling the truth there, wasn't he? And he was preaching to, uh, to Jewish people uh, that had, had uh, condemned him basically to death. They had, they had cast him out. The Bible says, whom God, although he was crucified and he was done, and this was all done to him in an unjust and unjust way, and, uh, and it was not fair, it was, it was wrong, Uh, what they did to him. But the Bible says that God, Peter says on the day of Pentecost, he says, God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. God raised Jesus up in the reversal of the judgment that was made against him on his judgment day. And praise God, of course, we know that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He didn't have to do it, but it was his choice, and he did it because he loves us. And so nothing else could satisfy God's wrath. Nothing else can atone for our sins. There's no other way to be saved except from what the gospel says. The Bible says it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is our theme verse. We are not ashamed. We cannot be ashamed of what Jesus did for us. Oh, there's a lot I'm ashamed of in my life. I'm ashamed that I took money uh, from my mom when I was four or five years old. I'm ashamed of some of those things in my life. Amen? And um, I was listening to, to my boys this morning. And against better judgment, I'll just share with you what happened. So uh, this morning, because it was funny, and honestly, I don't think it was that big of a deal. But I remember, uh, I, I recall this morning hearing from my bedroom my oldest son saying, I don't want it to go on the internet. And I said, what, what is he talking about? And they were all, you know, downstairs kids in the morning. They're all like rambunctious. You know, a school day, my son, this uh, last Friday, 
I came downstairs, was kind of getting ready in the morning. It was school day. We don't leave usually until about 7.40, 7.45. He was ready for school at 7 o'clock sitting on the couch. I mean, some mornings they're just up and ready to go. But when it comes to, down to Sunday, as you know, Sunday's a, a struggle sometimes. But he said, I don't want to go on the internet. I said, what is he talking about? And over the last few years, of course, my son, uh, he loves to draw and he also loves to make videos, you know, he'll get the iPad or the phone, and he'll make his crazy videos, you know, he does things, he slows it down, slow motion, does all kinds of stuff, and he's getting to the age, at eight years of old, he kind of, eight years of age, he kind of realizes, he's, some of those videos are kind of silly, we kind of josh with him a little bit about it, we, we kind of joke around, and we, we, we have fun with him about it, and, um, and I'm not going to say much more about it, but he did just do all kinds of crazy things, like when I was a kid, I had a tape recorder. How many of you ever had something like that? A tape recorder, okay? <laughs> Somebody's an eight-track player. Um, but something that you recorded onto, right? And I, uh, you get those tapes later on, you're like, oh, that's so funny. But I was kind of weird, you know, or something. You know, just like, what was I thinking? What was I saying? And at eight years of age, he's kind of realizing the videos I made are a little, little funny, you know? And he's just embarrassed by them. We don't think they're bad, and, and it wouldn't be a problem if it went on the Internet, but... He's concerned about those things going on the internet. But the funny part was, honestly, because he was ashamed a little bit of, a, of the videos, but AJ, who's three years old now, he said, oh, it's okay, Silas, just be like me. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so I'm glad that the three-year-old's not worried about it. But when you get to be about eight or nine or ten, then you realize you start wanting to put away some childish things. Last week, it was Callaway's birthday, and I I said, Callie, I'm going to take you out for a date. You know, we've been talking about this for a long, long time. And I took her for a date. We went over to Mayfair Mall. I used to work at Mayfair Mall many years ago. And I knew there was a Build-A-Bear there. And I checked it out. There's still a Build-A-Bear. So we went up and we uh, got a Build-A-Bear. But it was actually a rabbit. But anyways, uh, they have other things other than bears there. But we, we put the heart in there and they stuffed it with all the stuffing and everything and and we went on a date. We had a good time. And, uh, but, you know, the thing was, Silas just wants to be with Dad, and AJ just wants to be with Dad or Mom or whoever's going out and doing something. And he just was beside himself because he wanted to go along. And I said, no, this is a date for Callie. It's her birthday, and we're taking her to Build-A-Bear. And Silas said, well, I want to go to Build-A-Bear, too. And I'm thinking, Silas, you're getting a little bit too old for the stuffed animals. You still have some, and I'm not saying you can't play with them, but there does come a point, right, in our life where we begin to realize that we have to put away some of those childish things. Sometimes we're ashamed of what we did in our past, you know, and we say, what was I thinking? The frontal lobe is not really fully developed, you know, until you're probably 19, 20, or 40, or whatever, and, and we, we wonder, like, why in the world did I do all that? And some of it was some, some sin, and some of, some went into some very deep sin. We're ashamed of those things. But we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel has power to save us and has the power to save anyone. And it's not something we should be afraid to share with other people. I know it's not popular, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. And what a glorious message we have to deliver. I can look at anybody, anywhere. I can look on their face and say, no matter who you are or what you've done, if you trust Jesus, he will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. 
Does that mean a murderer could be saved? Yes. A blasphemer, a rapist, God, God will save those that will come to him. But they have to come to him, and we should not be ashamed. Our job is to protect and proclaim the truth of Christ's saving power, not to alter it, not to make it more acceptable, more palatable. I understand we need to preach the truth in love. It takes wisdom to do that, but we need to preach the truth. See, that's primary. Preach the truth in love. So we see the power of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2. And we'll go back to our text just for a second and look at that verse there. But verse 2, the Bible says, By which also ye were saved, speaking of the gospel, if ye keep in memory what I've preached unto you. What is he talking about there? Keep in memory. He's not talking about memorizing scripture. In this verse, keep in memory means to hold fast to the gospel, to not change it, to not amend it, to not em embellish it at all. Our job is not to trick people into heaven. Our job is to preach the truth in love. So the gospel is gloriously simple and simply glorious. Preachers love to talk about the great old evangelist D.L. Moody, and this week I actually was down at Moody Bible just to see the campus and go to an event there. Sad that I don't think it's what D.L. Moody envisioned it to become. But it was his birthday this week, and every February they have a uh, Founders, Founders Week. And uh, the cool story about that is that when he came back from preaching, this is back in the 1800s, you know, he came back from preaching around the country, and he came back to his Bible Institute there in the heart of Chicago, downtown, not too far from Lake Michigan, and it was the dead of winter, but it was his birthday. He said, you know what? It's my birthday. School's been canceled for the day. He said, let's go sledding. And they went out, and they had a good time with the students, and then they came back, and D.L. Moody spent the afternoon preaching to them and loving and sharing the, uh, some truths with them, just being an encouragement to them. And from that point on, they have observed his birthday every year and have done some special events during the week. But D.L. Moody was a great man of God. Uh, he was instrumental in establishing Sunday schools here in America. Uh, <clears throat> he was a, a man who preached the truth very straight and was unapologetic. Sometimes we forget that D.L. Moody was never an ordained minister. He was never a pastor. He was just a shoe salesman who was born again. And got so excited about it, he never got over it. God uses people, no matter where they come from, no matter what their education is, no matter what their background is, God uses those that submit themselves to him. So God not only loves you, he has a plan for your life. But D.L. Moody uh, went everywhere sharing the good news. He became an evangelist, although he was never ordained. He was uneducated, he was an uncouth man. It was said that he murdered the Queen's English. In 1870, he went over to London and got to meet the Queen. Uh, he was speaking in front of a huge crowd of educated, sophisticated English people. And he started his address this way with poor grammar. This is how he started his speech. He said, don't never think that God don't love you for he do. And he just went on talking about Jesus. 
Hey, some people were offended by his lack of correct grammar. And after one of these meetings, a sophisticated, dignified woman, English woman, came up to D.L. Moody and said, Mr. Moody, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And he hung his head and said, ma'am, you're right. I am ashamed of myself, but I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that man is said that he shook two continents for the cause of Christ. I'm, I'm ashamed of the way I act sometimes. I'm ashamed of the things that come out of my mouth sometimes, as well as I should, and as well as you should too. I'm sorry to say it, but I'm, I'm ashamed at the way that some Christians act. I'm ashamed of the way some preachers act. But I can't think of any reason why I should be ashamed of Jesus or his message. And so, may we be humble and realize the answer is not us but the answer is in us. Jesus Christ, as I said last week, as we preached last week, he is the answer to every problem. And so the church here, this institution is not the answer. I mean, we can help people to a point, but my friend, it's not the church that's going to save their soul. We need to point them to Christ and not be ashamed of that. Not be ashamed one bit. Will you join me in prayer? and ask God for help. We would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thankful for that. Father, I pray that you bless because in a moment we come and we pour our hearts out to you. We ask you to help us, forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, and lead us into the path that we need to go. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time of invitation here. Bless these people. Help us as we together stand for the truth. I pray that that would not become something we are ashamed of, not become something that we want to turn away from and stop doing, but may we realize, Lord, that your gospel is the only answer and solution to the world's problems. Many times people don't like it. They don't like what can help them, but may we learn how to use the gospel in love, to preach the truth unapologetically, but in love, Help us not to browbeat or to hurt, to cause division or pain in people's lives purposely, but help us to realize that sometimes people have to get mad before they get glad. Help us to love in such a way that we can do it with a clear conscience. We don't get into the flesh. We do it in the spirit. Help us to be, to be right so that we can do this effectively. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Standing to your feet with me, if you would, come and pray, ask God for help. If you're not a believer this morning, you come and find Jesus. We'll show you from the Word.